Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. This is the Roy Green Show podcast. But I, uh, I, I f- just found some of the, the tweets and some of the, uh, the Facebook posts that I saw after the... Uh, after the shooting in uh, in Washington, where James Hodgkinson had an extremely high-powered rifle shooting at the uh, GOP baseball players, the members of the Republican Party, who were preparing for the next night's baseball game against the Democrats. And some of what I saw and some of what I read on Facebook and Twitter was outrageous. I'm just going to give you one here and talk about some of them a little later on. Uh, someone called Mary Ellen Kane on Facebook, and it's one, two, three shots you're out of the old ball game. The uh, post had 13 reactions. Most of them were likes and ha-has. So we've become, uh, we've become irresponsible, aggressive, mean-spirited, on social media, not all the time, but when the opportunity arises and you feel like you have a captive audience, you have people who agree with your position, there's a fair sense of, well, I can say whatever I want, do whatever I want, I'll find somebody who's on my side. And so the, the notion of controlling yourself for many people has become, well, something that is just a notion. So I was reading, um, I was reading, um, some questions and answers that have to do with uh, social networking, with social media, in a uh, column that was uh, titled, Do Social Media Change Our Behaviors? And uh, they're by Teresa Litza, that's T-E-R-E-Z-A-L-I-T-S-A dot com online. And I got in touch with Teresa, and uh, she is a social media content manager and writer. And she joins us from... London from the UK. Teresa, thank you very much for taking the time. I know I'm disturbing a Saturday evening. Oh, oh don't worry at all. Happy to join you. Thank you. Look, um, you, um, you you start out by indicating that, and I'm quoting here, according to re- a recent infographic, social media are capable of turning us into psychopaths, affecting our habits in a negative way, whether it could even slightly relate to, to your case or not. There are still cases of people that belong to the results of surveys like this. So some people, are we saying then that some people who have a you know, essentially normal attitude to life, they get on social media and they become a, an alternate personality? Is that what's going on? Well, that's a really interesting case. And uh, the way that social media has evolved in the way that we use them in our daily lives, there have been some very interesting studies exhibiting that uh, sometimes our behaviors that may already be present they may be amplified on social media. So this can be both positive and negative, depending on the case, or it may be uh, the, the emotion that actually evokes us. And uh, I was uh, writing on this column, for example, depending on several studies on uh, how that can be really different. For example, on the positive side, 
with social media, we may highlight ourselves and our own authenticity. And we may also feel connected, having a sense of belonging in a community due to the global impact that this may have. Mm-hmm. But uh, there is also a negative side which can uh, affect us in nine different ways. For example, not everyone is authentic on social media, so there may be an issue of untruthfulness uh, or insecurity. And uh, one of the most important issues, it has to do with uh, the narcissism and a disconnection that actually evokes. And most importantly, it's about the poor behavioral controls. This may start with the idea of hacking and how this may affect our daily lives, but it may also be the bullying behaviors that we've noticed. And uh, there's an interesting study stating that 42% of young people report that they've been victims of cyberbullying, for example. So there is a question on how social media affects our daily lives. Yeah, I believe would... that we can really blame social networks in that case, but it's really interesting on in how they affect their lives because we really feel sometimes that we find a platform to express our views so we can say whatever we want, so we can find an ally, as you mentioned. Right. On whatever we say. Well, that wouldn't that be the case with the woman? Uh, uh, let's see, Marie Ellen Kane. Isn't this likely yes. the case with her when she, when she posts on Facebook and it's one, two, three shots you're out, at the old ball game, referencing the shooter at the uh, Republican um, uh, congressman's baseball practice. This is not something someone would say face to face to anyone. But there's a sense of security, a feeling of security when you are in a group and the group essentially has the same thought pattern. Yes, it's interesting that uh, with social media, some people feel that they can hide, for example, behind the screens and they can express whatever they want. So sometimes they don't really realize that both our online and offline personalities are still the same person and it may have some implications on that. So by the time they feel that they do have the audience, that they do get the approval, which again, for psychological results, is important. So you can feel that you can express whatever you have in mind. So that's really interesting on how behaviors may change, uh, blending both the online and the offline personality. Mm-hmm. Uh, you write in your, in your piece that was published in 2015, social media is not only about connection, but also about disconnection. Our constant connectivity may lead us to social media addiction, sacrificing our real life moments for their digital representation. And uh, then you add 24% of people missed important moments in real life because they were too busy trying to share them on social channels. Yes, exactly. And I'm afraid this may be increased in the last two years. Because, as, uh, for example, the young generation gets even more social media, exploring more social networks, for example. You feel that this may become even more important than your real life. So you feel the more focused on actually reporting something and broadcasting yourself, mm-hmm. something that may take place. But at the actual time, you don't realize what was going on because you were actually just broadcasting that, missing the moment. Yeah. So the fake, the fake you, could be more important to you if you're not careful than the real, the real you is to you. Yes, there is this danger that I feel it's really important to actually understand and be really careful in the way we use social media. Yeah. It's really easy nowadays to actually miss the point of what is the distinction between the real life and the online world that may not necessarily reflect your actual identity. Explain this one to me. Uh, Except for being part of a team, social media may also turn you into a narcissist due to the easy posting of pictures and sharing status updates about your daily life. So how do you become a narcissist in that regard? Uh, 
I feel that uh, they increase the number of social networks, especially relying on the visual content. For example, it's very easy for everyone to just upload a picture right now, uh, nowadays. Right. So it gets like into an addiction at some point because you just feel like you're starting, for example, just to post a picture to broadcast what's happening right now in your life. But after a while, you feel this need that this really increases and you feel that you want to broadcast even more on what's going on. So even if no one is really interested in that, but you still feel that there is an audience waiting for you, so it becomes a little bit narcissistic, especially when you're posting more about your life and you're mentioning whatever is going on. I found this really fascinating and I think a little disturbing. Too. You, you're right. Did you know that there are 90 million self-portraits on Instagram alone? 90 million self-portraits. And that was in 2015. That's exactly. That was in 2015. I feel that these numbers must have really increased in 2017. 90 million. Hold on, Teresa. We're going to come back and uh, talk some more about this. And uh, at the end of the half hour, I'm going to have a question for you about posting uh, on social media and your reaction specifically to uh, a couple of posts. Uh, The daily use of social media, the the story goes on, Teresa's story goes on, the daily use of social media allows us to learn how to juggle from one task to another with multitasking feeling almost natural. What's more, we're now adjusting to a new reality of online dangers and security issues, learning how to deal with them, and most importantly, how to avoid them. However, not everyone has good intentions online. From hacking to bullying, there are many cases of people that struggle to find the positive use of social media. And then you uh, you find out uh, what uh, Teresa was talking about. 42% of young people report they've been the victim of cyberbullying. 42%. It's almost half of young people have been cyberbullied online. So social media changes behavior. Stick around. We have more with Teresa. And then a question I know you'll want to answer. You're listening to The Roy Green Show, weekends from 2 to 5 on AM 900 CHML. And I must say this, that as far as social media is concerned, I don't often see anything that is really insulting on Twitter or Facebook. There are some things that are marginal, but I usually putting it off to somebody having had their first beer. But emails... Emails are another matter. Sometimes emails, people just, I think they wound up, and they write stuff that they wouldn't say to somebody else's face. By the way, the first time you send me an email with the F word in it, you drop the F bomb on me, you're blocked. You can send me a million emails after that, I won't see any of them. James Hodgkinson, uh, the shooter in Washington on Facebook, Trump is a selfish, inhuman, with delusions of grandeur. So I have a feeling that, well, this guy had issues. He'd been arrested by the police. He was known to be a a pain in the backside, uh, dealing with people. So I have a feeling he was, if he he had this notion that he was going to commit a violent act, it might have been assisted by what he encountered on Facebook in those anti-GOP Facebook pages he was a member of, or groups he was a member of. And so this may have just grown and grown and grown until he snapped. Not making excuses for the guy. But social media may very well have played a role in him becoming who he turned out to be. Uh, Teresa Litza is with us. It's TeresaLitza.com online. And we're talking about a column that Teresa had in 2015, do social media change our behaviors? She is a social media content manager and uh, writer. 
Teresa, does the more aggressive nature, a person's more aggressive nature in society, such as this Hodgkinson in, uh, in, uh, in the United States, could that more aggressive, more conf- confrontational side of him be encouraged by encounters that he would have on Facebook or Twitter? Uh, that's an interesting perspective, and unfortunately we can't really tell for sure, but there may be a possibility on what you mentioned and how that could be reinforced from uh, the specific social networks and the specific groups that he may have been part of that. And I feel that uh, it's a sad truth that there is, there is an increased aggressive nature in society. And it could be attributed until to a specific point to the part that social media allow us to amplify our opinions, because we feel that we find a common ground at some point. We will find someone who agrees with what they say. So I feel that we should be really careful on uh, how we use social media, because it could be really interesting, but it can also be really dangerous, as mm-hmm. you mentioned. Mm-hmm. Well, I thank you so much for joining us and uh, and sharing the contents of your column. I found it fascinating because people do tend to take, take liberties on social media that they wouldn't take elsewhere. And particularly if there's a group of people, they sometimes seem to try to want to outdo each other with how, you know, how antisocial they can become. Thanks again for the time. Thank you very much. com. You're listening to The Roy Green Show, weekends from 2 to 5 on AM 900 CHML. The, uh, the numbers of claimants, asylum claimants in this country, or to this country, are spiraling upward dramatically, according to information that Canadian press obtained. And I read the story from uh, Global News, again, asylum seeker numbers um, going upward dramatically. Could take 11 years to hold a hearing and cost 2.9 seven billion dollars and as i said earlier those numbers will increase and if it takes 11 years if they're saying it's going to take 11 years that means it's going to take more than 11 years and the people who are turned away will of course have an appeals option and that will take time and cost significantly more money the problem is at the entry points into canada and how we're handling people who are entering the country illegally that's where the problem lies Our federal immigration minister is asking for another study to be conducted, and he's got an assistant minister with a group of other people. They're going to study the issue, and they're going to have a report by next summer, at which time the report will be studied, and then there'll be other questions that need to be studied. This is not new news. It's just the same old way of doing things. And uh, we remember the Prime Minister on the 29th or 28th of January tweeting to those fleeing persecution, terror, and war. Canadians will welcome you regardless of your faith. Diversity is our strength. Hashtag welcome to Canada. Much to be said. My great friend, one of this country's most preeminent immigration lawyers, Richard Curlin, joins us from Vancouver. He's uh, advised both the federal government and the government of Quebec on significant immigration issues. Mr. Curlin, great to have you back on the show. A delight, an honor, a pleasure. Wow. I don't know how you top that, Martin, but uh, (laughs) Canada's former ambassador to Syria and Lebanon, Ambassador Martin Collicutt. Always great to speak with you, Martin. Thank you very much, Roy. And I, I, re, I will say the same thing that Richard did. I can't say any better. It's t- <laughs> tough to top that, but I'll, I'll take it. I'll take it. Uh, Richard, is is the problem, is the problem, at at the entry points to Canada, 
And then it's just exacerbated by an unwieldy bureaucracy and the federal government doesn't really know what to do. Um, or is the problem elsewhere? Or is it in several different places at the same time? Well, the problem in this instance is in the document obtained by the journalist. It was a scenario planning document. That's all. It gave a Goldilocks, too hot, too cold, just right scenario plan with uh, if we do nothing and cut back on refugee judges, yeah, we're going to have an 11-year queue and spend billions, but that's not what's happening. The numbers presently are at their historical low point because of the Jason Kenney changes introduced to the refugee system about three, four years ago that cut the inventory in half and dropped processing times from four years down to one year. So uh, I think uh, the journalist may have uh, inadvertently dropped the refugee ball in this one. All right, let's ask the ambassador for his viewpoint on this. Martin? Well, I, I first of all, agree with uh, Richard to the point where this is a sort of projected possibility. But there are some really uh, concerning signals coming up. One is that we are getting larger numbers, almost certainly, of refugees, a significantly larger number. One of them are the people crossing the border illegally from the United States. Uh, they're up in um, uh, close to t uh, 2,000 right now, and we should be dealing with that. The government said they'll study it. Well, we know what's happening. We know how they're getting in here. We know uh, what's going on. We don't need to study. It's like captain of a ship that struck an iceberg and he's going down. And he said, uh, instead of ordering people to abandon ship, he said, let's study where the hole is in the hole. We know what the problem is, uh, but the government doesn't want to do anything about it right now. I think in part because Prime Minister Trudeau uh, you, you quoted something he said in January. That was his uh, tweet. That was his tweet. Yeah, his yeah. tweet. He did another tweet in um, March where he said, regardless of who you are or where you come from, there's always a place for you in Canada. Well, that must mean everyone in the world. That simply is not true. I think it's no more than uh, Justin Trudeau's attempt to make uh, him look like he has sunny ways and everyone's welcome. What he said is not only not true, it's misleading. And the government, by twiddling its thumbs and saying we'll study what's happening, is uh, just avoiding the issue. People are coming in illegally. Um, it's connected with a safe third country agreement with the USA. We could do something about it, but the government chooses not to. And we have a we have a history of having difficulties, having problems with this whole issue of asylum seekers. We have some 40,000 people at last count. We don't know where they are. Well, we have no idea where they are because they were they were supposed to come back for a second hearing and they never showed up. So we don't know where the they are. I think the study thing is a good idea, and here's why. Now what do you what about the no Richard but what about I hate saying what about but what about the issue that we have thousands and thousands of people we don't know where they are they never showed up for their second hearing not only do we have that reality if the projections are correct and there are projections that are going to be significantly increased numbers of asylum seekers as the weather gets warmer uh, if the, if that if that and I, I don't I suspect that's going to happen uh, if that is the case, will we not just be adding to the problem? And this, you know, if if this if this this memo that the government has, if it's all supposition, then why don't they just shoot it down? Ah, and that's what the, I'm getting to. Uh, the no shows uh, is a thing of the past. 
the hearing times are so fast now, people actually do show up. The whereabouts are now tracked uh, by Canada Border Services Agency. As a matter of fact, they're using new technology to uh, electronically uh, track uh, certain individuals. So, uh, well, what is that, but hold on, what does that mean, tracking certain individuals? What in individuals words, are we that, talking about? The internal uh, documents obtained under access information show uh, an increased appetite uh, for the use of electronic bracelets and monitoring. So we, have, so, so we don't have 40,000 people out there with electronic monitoring bracelets on them. And we shouldn't. There's no need for that. Uh, you, 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 the, but you can track the trend of the disappeared, and that certainly is not increasing. Now, what does that mean, track the trend of the disappeared? When you convoke them to interview, say, for removal, deportation, and right. they're a no-show, you've got a big problem. Yeah. Uh, and that's how you can track a trend. I, I'm... I'm I'm sorry, but I am confused. Yeah. So uh, what you do is you take, uh, you, you'll, 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 you'll uh, invite people to appear voluntarily at the Immigration Department or Canada Border Services Agency to make their removal arrangements. You've got to get out of Dodge, head to the airport. But we've been trying to do that for years. And we have, and that's why, that's, why, that's why they're missing. But, the, but the, the point is you can, over the many, many, many years, put a number on who's missing is that number getting bigger or smaller staying the same and it's not getting bigger anyway uh, the really the well, issue we're talking how do we about know it's not getting a bigger lot more people are going to go into the system and clog it up and i think yeah, and this 40,000 plus yeah. now and that's where i'm coming to that's why this study is a good idea because president trump has pushed the nafta button Included in that is immigration policy, refugee policy, border thinning or thickening policy. And it's in that context that you want to nail down Canada's refugee policy. I wouldn't want to give away our negotiation points at this uh, Richard, uh, Richard, we have a mess. And it's not being properly addressed by our federal government. We have a mess. We can do things right now apart from our negotiations with the Americans. We may need their cooperation. The Americans stop anyone within 100 miles of their border that can't prove where they came from and prepare to deport them if they're there illegally. What we do is we help people across the border with their baggage, and then uh, which they're not supposed to do according to our uh, agreement with the Americans, and then help them make a refugee claim. And that's one of the things that's going to clog our system. Yeah, and all you have to do is show up, right, Martin? Richard, all you have to do is show up and make a refugee claim. That's all you have to do. Once you've entered into Canada and you you say, I'm a refugee, the process starts to look at you, starts to evaluate you, and that's where the time factor comes in and that's where the expenses come in. And if it's somebody who really requires the assistance, Great. If it's somebody who's taking advantage of the situation, they are still going to take the time and still clog up the system and cost the money. And the Americans do have a role in this, and it's a fair neighborly question to ask, hey, buddy, how come you're not uh, watching your northern door? How come you're not catching people before I they I love the way you avoid illegal? my questions. In your own country. Because we haven't bothered to ask them. We want to see, uh, keep our sunny ways and let anyone come in here. And the, I'm sure the Americans would cooperate with us. They don't want all sorts of illegal things happening on their northern border. But we're not doing it because we want to look as though we'll take anyone who wants to come here. Is it to this won't. country's benefit that anybody who arrives, and I understand we have a charter. I get that. But is it, is it to Canada's benefit and Canadians' benefit to have anyone 
I mean anyone who arrives on our border, arrives in Canada, and claims refugee status to immediately be given protection, immediately be allowed into the country while their claim is assessed. Even if you know, I mean, even if you knew exactly, this is, this is wrong, this is phony, you still have to carry on with the process until you get to the very end. And, they, and, if they're, and if they're judged to be, uh, you know, not appropriately in the country, they can then appeal that. And that goes on forever. I'll tell you one other story very quickly. I was just informed by a friend the other day about a gentleman who came to Canada from Italy. He does a, has a specific skill. I don't know what it is, but he has a skill that was very much absent in Canada. So he was working for a company in Canada. They brought him in. They got all the paperwork. Everything was done appropriately. They brought him in. He's been working here for two years. He loves Canada. He wants to become a Canadian citizen. He has a wife. He has a daughter. The company loves him. They hired lawyers to represent him. And the federal government said, nope, you're gone. So now he's going to go to Scotland where another company wants him. What's the point of this? I hear these stories over and over as well. The system is a mess. Yeah, there is an upgrade. Uh, the, uh, this is, you're going to see over the next four to six months uh, new rules in the foreign worker program uh, that may help adjust precisely the issue mm-hmm. raised now. You're listening to The Roy Green Show, weekends from 2 to 5 on AM 900 CHML. Back to our conversation with our good friends, Ambassador Martin Collicutt, former Canadian ambassador to Syria and Lebanon, and uh, one of this country's foremost immigration lawyers, Richard Curlin. They both join us from Vancouver. So, gentlemen, on the, on the issue of... Um, I want to come back to something you said, Richard, and that is that track the people who need to be tracked and removed from the country. Complicating that factor are sanctuary cities where Toronto is one, Montreal is one, Hamilton is another. I don't know if Vancouver is or not. I know Gregor Robertson was considering that. But you have immigration officers moving into the cities to try to apprehend people who the federal government or Immigration Canada wants out, and the cities are doing nothing to assist. We have, again, it's a mess. It's, it's, a, it's a goulash of, of good intentions or not so good intentions, or just sloppy work. Am I am I being unfair about this? Can I comment? On yeah, that? please go ahead, Martin. Yeah. Well, uh, the sanctuary city idea is supposedly out of sympathy for the illegals. Uh, what you are doing by encouraging them to stay here is to create problems for them and their kids in the future. I mean, the the problems in the states are because there are a lot of people there illegally. They can't get full rights. And uh, what we are doing by creating sanctuary cities is encouraging people to stay illegally. If someone's going to be allowed to stay here, let them do it legally so they and their families get full privileges and rights. Don't push them or encourage them to go into what they call the shadows and uh, not have that. And I, I don't know what's in the minds of municipal politicians who think they're doing good work by creating sanctuary cities. They're doing exactly the opposite. Richard? I've never bought into this sanctuary city concept. It, 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 there's something innately incorrect. It does not respect rule of law. There's no special dispensation from Canada's matrix of uh, of uh, protecting the public, uh, 
the, the way we do it. And we do not have a design of for an illegal underground uh, as the Americans do. They intentionally create an illicit pool, cheap labor. Uh, in Canada, uh, our hospitals and our major cities have special budgets to take care of individuals who may be in illegal status. Uh, but if you reward illegality, you will breed more illegality. So I just don't buy it. Was the prime minister incorrect, just fundamentally incorrect? Maybe, uh, maybe his heart was in the right place. But was he just not thinking properly or clearly enough about what could happen when he issued that tweet in January? Yeah, that was political candy. The, 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 I think our senior leadership knows full well the capacity of uh, the Canadian military, law enforcement uh, forces, uh, nationally, internationally, to prevent a mass migration from happening. If Canada did not have sea-to-sea-to-sea coverage, we well would have had to withstand uh, that Middle East outflow uh, into a, another Western democratic nation. But we're simply not geographically accessible. That's our secret sauce. All right. Martin, but we have a minute, we have a minute left. Go ahead, please. Well, the tweet uh, was basically to burnish his image, distinguishing from uh, Donald Trump and sound like the, you know, the most generous leader in the world, but it's complete, total nonsense. <laughs> and, and, uh, but he hopes to get away with it. And, and uh, <laughs> the question is, how long will the Canadian public be fooled? Could I just add two other reasons why our number of uh, uh, asylum claimers could... I'll need you to do it quickly. Yeah. First of all, we've taken... Uh, Trudeau took the visa off Mexican visitors, so the numbers had got up to 10,000 before the uh, Conservatives slapped on a visa, and they're starting to climb again. This could add uh, a lot of people without merit to our refugee system. Uh, and um, what's the other one? I have got a lot. Well, I'll jump in while you do that, because uh, we can mirror President Trump's idea of sending a bill to Mexico to build the wall. We can send them a bill to pay for those refugees that the U.S. has allowed into Canada. Oh, you guys well, are, I'm you, sure you two are troublemakers. Would stop doing it if, if we asked them, but we somehow or other like to sound like we have sunny ways, and we're not asking. Sunny anything. ways, sunny ways. Didn't he play quarterback for the Montreal Alouettes? <laughs> what, I mean, the sunny his wife a singer? <laughs> Thank you, gentlemen. It's always an, an honor and a pleasure to speak with you. <laughs> Thank you. Be well, everyone. Richard Thanks. Curland, Ambassador Martin Collicott. You're listening to The Roy Green Show, weekends from 2 to 5 on AM 900 CHML. Stay calm. Do not argue with people. Just keep up the great support. Thank you, There's Bill Cosby last night outside the courthouse in Pennsylvania. Today, a mistrial declared after six days of jury deliberation, six days. And the jury came back uh, to find out from the judge they wanted a definition of reasonable doubt, and they also wanted a definition of without her knowledge. Joining me on the Roy Green Show on the Chorus Radio Network is Los Angeles civil rights lawyer, famous civil rights lawyer, Gloria Allred, and uh, she covers and takes on many Women's Issues Cases. Uh, Ms. Allred, thank you very much for the time. Uh, are you surprised at uh, at the outcome of this trial, ending in a mistrial? 
No, I'm not, Roy. Uh, we can never underestimate the blinding power of celebrity. But justice will come. I, I hope that, well, I know that the prosecution is going to try it again because they actually announced that today. And and the next time, I hope that the court will permit more prior bad act witnesses to testify, as the prosecution had requested for this trial. I mean, for the trial that just ended, the court only allowed one such what's called prior bad act witness, end quote, to testify. That was my client, Kelly Johnson, rather than the 13 such witnesses, which the prosecution wanted to call, uh, but the court only allowed one. So if the court next time allows more accusers to testify, then it might make a difference. So, in other words, I would say to Mr. Cosby, it's too early to celebrate, Mr. Cosby. Round two is just around the corner, and this time, justice may prevail. Is it possible that judges can be blinded by celebrity? Well, I, get, I think it is possible, I'm not, but I don't accuse this judge of that. Uh, I think he made the best judgments he could. It, it, you know, I agreed with many of his rulings. Obviously, I have an issue with his ruling on the prior bad act accuser, uh, that he only allowed one. But he never stated the reason that he only allowed one. He had that discretion. I just hope he exercises his discretion in a different way next time, although I'm not sure if he will, because he's going to be the same judge for the next trial. You would think with the numbers of women who have accused Bill Cosby of sexually assaulting them, uh, upwards of 50 or maybe 60 women, there would have been reason for the judge to allow more than one such witness to step forward. Well, actually, in many cases in Pennsylvania, more than one is allowed. A number of them have been allowed. Uh, so, uh, obviously, the court, the prosecution felt there was precedent to allow 13, you know, without that number, you know, being reversed. Um, and they argued for that, and you're right, they did interview more than 50 women. And of that, they argued that 13 of the 50 should be permitted to testify. Yeah. I was but thinking... the court said only one, I, I have to say my client, Kelly Johnson, who was the one, was very courageous to do that. Uh, and her mother testified as well, and uh, she was excellent. And I just have the, the most... You know, great admiration for her and the courage, great admiration for Andrea Constant. Um, and I think Andrea knows how I feel about her. I know she does. And also, Andrea's mom was incredible. So um, it, she was just a star witness. And I just, I just think they are real role models for others who believe that they are victims of drugging and sexual assault. Um, does this speak to the jury? Does this speak to um, a jury maybe being starstruck or a jury perhaps not understanding, I hate to say that, but not understanding what, in fact, was at stake here when they come back and they ask for uh, an explanation of what reasonable doubt means, and then they want an explanation of without her knowledge? That's fairly fundamental stuff. If I heard that, I'd be very worried about the jury. Well, Roy, I mean, many juries would like to have a def definition of what beyond a reasonable doubt means. And, you know, the court has read an instruction that's been approved by higher courts. Reasonable, beyond a reasonable doubt does not mean to a mathematical certainty. Mm -hmm. 
and it doesn't mean you know it doesn't mean if one has an imagined doubt uh, that that should be something that's taken into consideration. But it's beyond a reasonable doubt. It's the highest burden in a criminal case to prove guilt beyond a reasonable doubt because somebody's liberty is at stake, the accused. Now, by the way, we have a civil lawsuit. I do. I'm litigating a civil lawsuit against Mr. Cosby on behalf of Judy Huff, who alleges in her lawsuit that she was the victim of Mr. Cosby when she was only 15 years old, that she alleges that he committed an act of sexual misconduct against her when she was at the Playboy Mansion at 15. We're going back to court on that. Uh, actually in about 10 days, June 27th, in Santa Monica, California. There's a lower burden of proof for a civil case. There we only have to prove our case by a preponderance of the evidence. Uh, or if we're seeking uh, uh, punitive damages, that would by, be by clear and convincing evidence. So uh, we're going to give an update to the court on June 27th, and we're going to continue to litigate our case for Judy Hutt, who's also a very, very brave young woman. Does your deposing of Bill Cosby come into play in, in that particular case? It does. We did do one deposition, that is, take his testimony under oath. That was before the criminal case was filed. Uh, then we made a motion to compel him to appear for a second deposition in our case, and we had to have uh, good reason, and we presented those reasons to the court. And, of course, the defense uh, argued vigorously against it, but we prevailed. And the court said, yes, we can take his second deposition in Mr. Cosby. However, he said, but we need to await the outcome of the criminal case. Well, now we have the outcome of the criminal case, but he's going to be tried again. So we may have to wait for that trial to conclude before we can take his second deposition. But you know what? We're patient. I've been doing this for 41 years. I'll wait a little longer, and we're going to continue to litigate on behalf of Judy Huff. How concerned are you that this particular mistrial will impact negatively on women who might have been feeling somewhat more empowered by the fact that Bill Cosby was going to trial and he was charged with sexual uh, assault, and now they see the mistrial and they might feel more reluctant to step forward? I'm not just talking about Cosby. Just generally, they might have feel, felt empowered to step forward and say, I am going to take on this individual who sexually assaulted me and now may feel more wary about it. Well, I mean, I don't want them to feel more wary because, you know, there there have been many times when there's been a mistrial in the first trial and then a conviction on the second trial. I'm not saying that's going to happen in this case. But that does happen sometimes. I, I was involved in a case where that did happen, involving, you know, the killing unlawful killing of a transgender teenager. And there was a mistrial in the first case, but then ultimately there was a conviction in another trial. So a different jury may see things differently. Um, And I would say to any of those persons who believe they're victims, go consult with a civil sexual assault attorney. Um, that, That was Dolores. I also do that too. That is Andrea's attorney. And uh, find out what your rights are in the civil justice system and also report to law enforcement. It's very important to report to law enforcement. They may or may not decide to prosecute, but at least they'll know what the accusations are against an individual who is accused. And then it may be others will come forward at another point as well. Then there may be uh, a prosecution of that accused individual. Ms. Allred, was there a particular moment that uh, this trial may have 
hinged on? Was there something that was said? Was there evidence that was introduced? Was there a day which particularly sticks out as being really significant and important, maybe more than others? Yeah, I saw Gianna Constant. Uh, Andrea's mother was very, very powerful. And and I I, I asked others in the courtroom for their opinion, and everybody said, wow. I mean, she was awesome. She was breathtaking. How she handled her dis- her testimony, she de- she testified about her first uh, call with Mr. Cosby, hours long, and, you know, where she called because she wanted to know, what did you give my daughter? What was that medication you gave my daughter? And he has admitted under oath, he said, you know, essentially that, yes, he told her that he would go check his prescriptions. I believe he said that, but... She testified that he said he would go upstairs and check in the bathroom and check his prescription bottles, and then he would write it down and send it to her. And, of course, he never did. Ultimately, he said what he gave her was Benadryl, which is not a prescription medication. That's over-the-counter. Mm-hmm. And so one has to wonder, well, why didn't he just tell her that? If Is this consciousness of guilt or not? That it wasn't. Maybe it wasn't Benadryl. Maybe it was. And he said it was. But if so, then why didn't he just tell her that? Um, he he indicates that he felt attacked by her just because she asked him for the name of the medication. I don't know why anyone would feel attacked by that. Um, and um, so ultimately, that's what happened. But yes, she definitely, I think, Gianna, what Gianna did just an excellent job. So did Andrea. But just the the protective nature of a mother wanting to know what kind of medication did you give my daughter? And being very persistent about it, and saying I I'm not I don't want storytelling here, I don't want manipulation. I just want to know what did you give my daughter. So this is one powerful mama bear, Gianna Constant. What was Bill Cosby's body language like when that was going on? Well, at times he looked a little bit un- uncomfortable in the courtroom. Um, but other than that, really, I couldn't say. Mm-hmm. Um, who knows? Uh, you know, and this time, I mean, he had to post a bond here because it's going to be a retrial. So, again, it's too early for him to celebrate because with round two, justice may prevail. Will you have a more direct role in round two? No, it'll be the same role, but... You know, it would be interesting to see if any of the other accusers who are my clients are permitted to testify. Mm -hmm. That, to me, is going to be a key in all of this. But I just don't know because it's the same court, it's the same judge, so I don't know if they'll reconsider or not. By the time it gets to round... We'll have to wait and see. Yeah, but by the time it gets to round two, you will have had your time with him in the civil case. I don't know because I don't know how much more we're going to be permitted to do. I'll find that out on June 27th. Until the criminal case concludes, mm-hmm. because we do want to take his, deposi- his second deposition again, you know, and but I think the court's likely not to allow us to take it until the second trial concludes, because otherwise I think the court's thinking is, in our case, well, he's just going to take the fifth. He'll say, you know, anything, he invoke his Fifth Amendment privilege against in, in, in incrimination and say, well, you know, I'm going to be tried again, so I'm not going to testify now. I'm not going to answer these questions now. Just ask if one... he's either acquitted or convicted, 
you know, well, if he's acquitted next time, then we'll take his deposition. Uh, but what we would like is justice in whatever form that will take. And I'll, I'll just uh, make one more statement and ask you just one more question. It, really, at the very beginning, when I first started talking to you about this particular Cosby case going forward and criminal charges possibly being laid and going to trial, at the very beginning, it, it was it almost seemed doubtful that that he would actually be charged, that he uh, that you know there had been uh, so much time had elapsed between his assaults and him possibly being charged. There was there was some question about whether he'd actually wind up in court or not. Yes, there was a question. Now that question's resolved. Yeah. And the prosecution is so committed to this case, they didn't even take time to say, well, we need another week or two to think about whether we're going to prosecute again. They they just announced it immediately today. All right, so no uh, no easy sleeps for Bill Cosby for who knows no, how long. I don't think so. Yeah. But it's all right. It's always good talking to you. Thank you for the time. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Gloria Allred joining us from uh, Pennsylvania, she, where she was attending the trial of Bill Cosby. Mistrial. Uh, like so many other people, I was such a huge fan of Bill Cosby. I was just a huge fan of of him. Uh, when I was in school, I was on the I Spy series was uh, was on TV. He and Robert Culp, and it was such a huge success. And then you know there was the the, the movies and the, the comedy routines, and I mean I remember laughing at uh, one of his concerts. I was almost in hysterics. You know, you get to the point where you think, if I don't stop laughing, I'll cross over. And uh, and I really liked the guy, and and now I just just after hearing all the testimony and the complaints that lodged against him by so many women, I'll convict him. I'll convict him. The jury didn't, but I will. From my point of view, doesn't carry any weight. Just my view. You're listening to the Roy Green Show weekends from two to five on AM 900 CHML. All right. Uh, in this segment on Saturdays, I'm reduced to being the guy who goes and gets the margaritas, or whatever it is uh, that the beauties prefer on a on a hot day. Catherine Swift, WorkingCanadians.ca. Hi, Catherine. Hi, Roy. Most powerful I woman. I wasn't aware of the margaritas. What's that? I wasn't aware of the margaritas. Oh, yeah, that's what I do. Great news. I, I, I'm, a mar- <laughs> I'm a margarita server. That's what I do. Uh, but only for you guys, gals, people, whatever, the, whatever the politically on. correct term is. As it should be. Uh, I would think so. Michelle, hi. Hi, Roy. What kind of margarita do you like? I don't know if there's more than one kind. I like the usual. Just... The usual. Yes. Miss Leatherdale, Linda Leatherdale at lindaleatherdale.com, and it's at Michelle Simpson, uh, former liberal member of parliament, former seatmate to, um, what's that guy's name? Oh, yeah. Uh, Linda Leatherdale, vice president of Cambria, Canada, former money editor of the Toronto Sun. What kind of margarita do you like? Well, tequila. 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 Did you see the... Uh, Oh, no, I want to ask you this first. I was just talking to Gloria Allred about um, Bill Cosby and the yeah. mistrial. And she said, don't sleep too comfortably because you're going back on trial. And she also has a civil suit that she's 
uh, putting forward against him. So he's going to be facing her in court, Gloria Allred in court, and she's already deposed him once and a second time coming up. What is your, uh, and, and it's interesting, I asked our, um, our callers to give me a quick sense of whether he was guilty or not. And we just had time, like two minutes, we had time for three calls. Two, two women, one man, and I said he was guilty. The other man, uh, the caller said he was guilty. The two women callers said not guilty. Ooh, interesting. I was surprised. Yeah. yeah. That is. Well, what gives me, though, is that he's admitted he gave drugs to some women um, and, and whatnot. I, I mean, he's already sort of admitted to at least some of the, well, it, it's, it's the old consensual thing, right? It, 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 so that's what it's all hinged on. Well, if it's consensual, you don't need a drug anybody. Well, well, that's what gets me when he says, yes, I gave, I don't know, some antihistamines or anyway, something to make them dopey anyway. When you're giving you drugs have to, to people, give a lot of those, Catherine. Pardon me? You'd have to give a lot of antihistamines. Well, I never understood. I, did, I didn't know that antihistamines were part of it, the whole thing. Well, I thought he said he gave Benadryl. Yeah, that's what he did. Benadryl. That's what he did. It's, it's antihistamine. Anyway, but, but he did admit to drugging them. And like you say, Roy, yeah. if you've got to drug somebody, <laughs> kinda, I kind of think that means not It's kind of self-explanatory, isn't it? Yeah. It, it, sort of, it sort of speaks for itself. It's like the answer was no. Yeah. Oh, let me, let me get you something for your sneezing. It's terrible. I mean, I really think this guy is as guilty as sin. And also, I, so many women have come forward. That's yeah, the only exactly. Yeah. If it was one or two, then you'd go, oh, well, maybe they're in it for a big check or something. But yeah. there's quite a lot yeah. that have come forward. Yeah. Didn't yeah. they say there were 60? It's about 60. Yeah, yeah there's lots. Yeah. 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 Linda, what's your sense about this? Well, when I, I, I listened to you, Roy, and I was shocked when those two women said not guilty because, quite honestly, I'm, I'm with you in this one. Um, and, you know, first of all, you know, he says he has to check his drug, you know, his upstairs bathroom for um, prescription drugs. And then he says it's, it's been a, which is not, it's over the counter. So, this, no, I, I, I go guilty. I go guilty. Yeah. Me too. Well, he's going back to court, but it's going to be the same judge and the same prosecutor and the same defense. And what Gloria Allred was upset about is that there was only one witness, and I forget the exact legal, legal term that she employed, but it's like a prior uh, character witness or someone who can can attest to his prior activities and it was her client one of her clients who was that one person the judge could have called more but he only allowed one which seems a little mm. unusual to me given yeah. how many women have actually accused him of sexual impropriety of sexual assault yeah so let's get to some of the issues that uh, we're going to get at today and um why don't we start with Michelle? Because this is a story that has made more than headlines. This is a story that's actually called world domination. You want to know who Big Brother is? We know now. It's Amazon. Amazon. Dot com. Roy. Yes, Michelle. I was really concerned when I heard about the acquisition or the deal for Amazon to take over Whole Foods because that's exactly, I mean, I know we can't put the genie back in the bottle, um, you know, with respect to the Internet, but, you know, I'm really, really concerned about where this is headed. A $13.7 billion deal, and anyone that doesn't believe that this is going to cost thousands 
and thousands of jobs is naive because they're they're they really will it'll become internet order on the internet and um, and it won't just be at, at at Whole Foods it'll be at Piggly Wiggly and at Kroger and at other um, yeah and I'm only t- talking about the American outfits now exactly but they already said the you know law blahs target with this announcement they took hits in the market yeah. and so that's people's pension plans yeah. whether yeah. they want to believe that or not but i'm really concerned yeah i i have a an edgy an edgy feeling in my stomach about that one Catherine, what about you Boy, it's tough because we've seen, I mean, just today I was looking, I was reading the news and they're talking about some $350 million fund to to bail out print media in Canada. I'm sure you saw that as well. And technology is disruptive. It has been for centuries. The Industrial Revolution, of course, as we know, was horrific because it used to be 80% of people were in the agriculture business, and then suddenly that dropped down to you know a minuscule portion of that, and so on. Mm-hmm. And and you said, Michelle, you can't you know you can't uh, to put the genie back in the bottle, and, and you can't. And these things are going to happen anyway. Um, and frankly, they usually and they're disruptive. No question, they're disruptive. But I don't think anybody will look back now historically and say, oh, the Industrial Revolution, what a horrible thing that was. We should not have had that, you know. So, and this, this, I, I'm confident this will be the same. I, I tend to like technology, and, and I, but I don't underestimate the fact that a lot of people um, suffer in the transition. Yeah. But I think the ultimate outcome will be a good one. It'll force, we have a pretty moribund grocery industry in Canada. It'll force a very staid, stodgy industry to smarten up and pay attention, and I think consumers will win. What worries me, though, is Amazon's talking about delivering things by drone. I think that's. I think that was. I, I think see, that was by. I, I think that was just a joke, wasn't it? And feeling zoom zoom. Yeah, I think that <laughs> was just humor. By my head. <laughs> I think that was a joke. I don't think I was serious, but who knows? But you know what, Catherine? Uh, in the Industrial Revolution, there weren't nearly as many people uh, wandering around on this planet. So if uh, a lot of jobs were lost that didn't have the same impact as you got seven or eight billion folks. And if you have great swaths of them without work, we only have to look to certain parts of the world and see what's going on in those parts of the world. Folks are leaving and they're going anywhere that, uh, you know, they, they think they might be able to get a job. It's, it's, not, it's not stoppable, but it's got me a little queasy. Linda, what about you? Well, I noted that all the grocery store shares fell after this. Uh, it's a little scary. Um, I guess my concern is, and we've seen it, like Sears is barely hanging on. Online shopping is certainly changing the landscape of the retail world. I sit on a little local BIA. That's a business improvement area in Brawny. Yeah, it's, 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 in, it's, in, it's in a part of Canada where they pay for their – do you still get newspaper subscriptions? <laughs> uh, but anyway, whatever, they, they only use American Express gold cards. That's what, they, that's what the kids use for their allowances and where Linda yeah, works. <laughs> Right. <laughs> anyway, Bronnie is a cute little area. Hey, it was the wrong side of the tracks of Oakville, let me tell you, but it is coming up. But well, And it was a founder in Canada who came up with the BIA concept, and that is to keep Main Streets alive. And right. it's mom and pops. And so I guess my concern is, yes, 
these are the people who are creating the jobs. If we create, as Catherine says, out of the Industrial Revolution, new jobs, new technological jobs, that people have good-paying jobs. But again, I just I want to keep the main streets across this country where the middle-class families are working. Don't say middle-class. Justin Trudeau will jump up. <laughs> okay, now there was one issue that you wanted to get at, Linda, and uh, let's let's take a run at it. Okay, well, um, there's a couple of things. There was, of course, our finance, uh, a federal finance minister with his omnibus—I can't even pronounce it—omnibus bill yeah. that it's all to do with um, budget, and the Senate is trying to stall it. And of course, he's got next week um, to get it uh, passed. But I think uh, Catherine would agree with me. There's so much stuffed into this, including the Canada Infrastructure Bank, the Borrowing Authority Act, the Invest in Canada Act, and Lord help us, the Service Fees Act. That's a lot in one bill. And this is huge. And I really think there's so much at stake for the taxpayer of this country. The Infrastructure Bank is private public funding, which seems fine, but we've seen in the past where the taxpayer ends up getting screwed. And I'm sure, Catherine, you want to add on to that. Well, you're absolutely right, Linda. <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> what <are you? laughs> yeah, I'm very neutral on all these topics. But <laughs> the, the, the thing that, that makes me laugh, and I guess I've been around long enough, I should know better, but is, you know, the Trudeau government in opposition went mental about the conservative omnibus bills, which were wrong, I totally agree. And yet, of course, now they're doing exactly the same thing in this particular budget bill. The infrastructure bank is worrisome in the extreme uh, yes. because it is, to me, any, any, any new Crown Corp is an arm's length entity and therefore less accountable to taxpayers. And I think it's just a new big pork barrel fund, at least if it was coming out of a government department, which again was hardly stellar in their performance, at least we had better scrutiny of it. We'll have less scrutiny now. Big and, worry there. And, and the this building in those fees. Stopping it. Okay, Michelle? The back, the taxpayers exactly. are backstopping the investment. We don't know enough about it, mm-hmm. and we're guaranteeing the deal. Yeah, big rates of return promised to private investors, yep. and the taxpayer. If something goes south, guess who's on the hook? Yep. We, the taxpayers. Yep. See what I tweeted earlier in the week was what I tweeted was. This is evidence of what happens when a party that was the number three party in parliament for a fairly long period of time suddenly finds itself catapulted into into a majority government a reality. This this sort of thing happens, and I have no more to add to that. There was no, you know, there was, that was a full-stop statement. Absolutely. Right. It, it's ridiculous that, we, you know, 8.5% return, yeah. and the taxpayers are backstopping it, meaning it has guarantees. Government built-in government guarantee. Yeah, I have to take a break. I just want to tell you one thing: if you want to invest in something and make a killing, you ready? Yeah. Candle wax. <laughs> okay. And I'll tell you why when we come back. Okay. <laughs> but get your nickels and dimes together because you'll want to rush out and invest in candle wax. You buy you. Everybody buy candle wax. I'll corner the market with the wicks. You're listening to The Roy Green Show, weekends from 2 to 5 on AM 900 CHML. So after you invest in the candle wax and I invest in the wicks, the reason we're doing this is uh, the guy whose account, I follow about 700 people on Twitter, one of them is at Brown Barry. 
and uh, he's the opposition, the progressive conservative leader for Ontario, Patrick Brown. And I think Mr. Brown's performance, coupled with the performance of the NDP leader in Ontario, is giving Kathleen Wynne a shot. And so if she's reelected, then I'm going to buy lots of candles because yeah. that's where we're headed. Exactly. Right well, if she's reelected, we can kiss Ontario goodbye. Yes. It's sad to say, but... Uh, Do you have any... I mean, does it worry you what the yeah. opposition's doing or not doing? Well, yeah. we're, still, we're still a year away from well, election. Well, I know. But and it does worry If you me. don't have it a year away, you're not going to have it two weeks away. No. Well, I, I just feel that a year is a very long time. There has been talk about her going early. She denies she's going to, but she's been a you know, pathological liar for years. So what? I don't know why we should believe any of it. Yeah, I, I, just, uh, I just have some very uncomfortable feelings about this. I really do. Anyway, that's my that's my advice. Candles and wax and some well, advice. I heat my cottage with cottage? wood. Beauty and the Beast candles. And that's another one like candles. <laughs> <laughs> I candles will be taxed to death. That's right. Yeah, yeah, there you go. They're going to get us on the candles next. Yeah. Beast and the Beast candles. I love it. Yeah. So the one thing that I wanted to say, the thing that I, the issue that I wanted to contribute, and it has to do with after the shooting in uh, in Washington D.C., where that lunatic who was probably affected by some of the things that he saw and participated in with groups on Facebook and on Twitter, and there was another fellow lunatic of his uh, on a Facebook group that hates Republicans, who's uh, and it's one, two, three shots you're out at the old ball game. These I worry a bit about more than a bit. I worry a bit more than a bit about our society. And how um, fractious we're getting with each other. It's okay to debate. It's okay to argue. It's okay to take take sides and 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 defend them strongly, because that's we move forward from that kind of debate. But when we start when we start to see the the violence and we start and it's been more than once. It's been you know it's it's been pretty serious. Not like the late '60s yet, but it's serious. I'm worried about that. I really am. So we have 45 seconds. Say something good. Wow. Well, I read an interesting piece in the National Post that was talking about the level of anxiety yeah. in our society, which I think this is an offshoot of, Roy, yeah. this political, you know, fractious, and the fact that people are out, you know, being violent uh, about their politics and, and yeah. whatnot. But it is partly that we have the luxury of it. You know, we're not defending ourselves against the, you know, saber-toothed tigers anymore. We're, yeah, you know, we, well, that's we true. We actually have, in a perverse way, the luxury of having all this time and, to do this kind of garbage. And we have had several generations now, two anyway, three, that have not had to fight a war. Exactly. And have the luxury yeah. of just standing back and telling everybody how... Anyway, we will talk more about that another day. Y'all are the best. Thank you so much. You too, Roy. Basically, one. Talk to you next Saturday, beauties. Yes. As we like to say, stealing from Donald S. Cherry, toodaloo. (laughs) Toodaloo. Toodaloo. Catherine Swift, Michelle Simpson, Linda Leatherdale. The Roy Green Show, weekends from 2 to 5 on AM 900 CHML.